Lord, I ask for you to speak. Speak to us. From your word, may we recognize that, that your authority is unchallenged. That what you've said you mean, and may we be conformed in freedom to what you have said. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. Again, I bet you can, next week I'll ask you what chapter do you think we're, we're in. Uh, open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 21. Um, so I used to do street evangelism in Chicago, and I bet you can't really think of me doing that. I wouldn't stand on a soapbox. Uh, I, that's not quite what I would do. But I did street evangelism in Chicago, and... Um, and honestly, I was the one that benefited most from it. <laughs> but but uh, I, I, was almost, I was almost always partnered up with this gentleman by the name of Ronnie Mugaki. And he was a Kenyan. And he had come to Moody to, 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 to study. Um, and he was one of the leaders of the ministry. So it was always really fun getting to be with him, primarily because of the way he would say things. His words had gravity through his accent. So he kind of cheated, but, uh, but he would always start out, whenever we'd walk up to someone and we'd go, like two of us, and we'd walk up and we, we'd, we'd say, excuse me, sir, can I ask you a question? But the way he would say it was awesome. He would say, excuse me, can I ask you a morbid question? And you wouldn't hear that second to last word right. You'd be like, sure, but he said morbid. So, <laughs> but he'd always ask, Again, in that great Kenyan accent, what do you think happens when you die? <laughs> and it was just awesome. Every time he'd say it, and I'd stand there, and I'd told him, he'd always say, why don't you ever start a conversation? I'd say, because you're better. <laughs> um, but one of, one of the things that would almost always happen, because we'd ask, how do you think you get to heaven? Because almost every person would say, you know, either you die and you rot in the ground, We'd say, or, or they'd say, well, I think there's you know, an afterlife, there's a heaven. And um, the question that always followed that was something around this. We'd, we'd say, um, you know, how do you think you would get to heaven if there is a heaven? Or how do you think you get into heaven? And nine out of ten times, somebody would say, well, you've got to be a good person. And, and the, the question then is, well, how good is good? Right? And... Uh, we would use the Beatitudes, specifically Matthew 5, 21 through 48, as a standard of somebody's character. And, um, and the very first question I would always ask is, have you ever murdered anybody? And uh, only one time did I get a yes, and that's a funny story for another time. But, <laughs> but, but uh, everybody would always say no. So... In Matthew chapter 5, we're going to start into uh, some tests of character that Jesus actually gives, and um, we're going to see the extent of the law. We're going to see the extent of God's purity and what he expects from his creation. Um, so let's go ahead and read uh, Matthew 5, 21 through 26. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. 
But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable, will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court lest your accuser hand you over to the judge, and the judge to the guard, and you be put in prison. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. This is the word of the Lord. So what we're going to find as we go through these, scholars like to call these uh, the contradictions or the antitheses or any other really fancy word, uh, but what, what they're trying to say is that Jesus, as he goes through these things, he's going to say, you have heard, but I say. And Jesus is not trying to abolish the law. Matthew 5, 17, we just talked about that last week. He is not trying to abolish the law. Instead, he's showing the narrow interpretation that the scribes and the Pharisees have had of the law and how that's been passed into the mindset and the heart of the people. Um, so, from a legal standpoint, the concept of not murdering has a pretty narrow way of, of considering it. Raise your hand if you've ever murdered somebody. Lisa, I'm, uh, all right, there we go. Thank you. <laughs> I was going to take out my phone. Oh, wait, it's right there. I can't call the police. Uh, <laughs> so, but... Um, Usually when th somebody thinks of not murdering someone, they think not murdering them, right? But how far can you go before you commit murder? Can you beat someone within an inch of their life and consider that, hey, I didn't murder nobody. I'm, I'm safe, right? Um, I, I, didn't, I, I didn't drown the person. I just put the cement shoes on, just to use a Chicago example. Uh, <laughs> so... Uh, Jesus is trying to make clear that the extent of the law is not simply within the confines of its verbiage. When God gives the Ten Commandments, you shall not murder, Jesus is trying to expand on that for his hearers, saying it's not just don't murder, it goes a little deeper than that. So what we're, what we're going to find in these next several sections of the Sermon on the Mount is that Jesus' people, the church, ought to be a community of constantly repenting people, reminded of their total need for Jesus. And that's what we talked about in 17 to 20 last week. So we should be a group constantly acknowledging, not justifying our sinfulness. We should be a group most honest about our failings, not so holy and self-righteous that we end up sounding like the Pharisees. So, in the first verse, Matthew 5, 21, Jesus is trying to break down the walls of legalism. Now, legalism is a term that you, you I mean, it's, it's splattered across the walls of churches, essentially, right? You, you can't say legalist without almost like spitting a little legalist, right? <laughs> you don't want to be legalistic in this church, don't we? You don't want to be legalistic. Well, Jesus is trying to break down the that, that legalism actually falls short. He's saying that 
that, that adhering to the law doesn't mean just following the letter of the law, it means going to the heart of the law itself. So, you've heard that a person who murders someone must be judged, right? You've heard that. That's essentially what Jesus says, right? You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. What does judgment look like? Well, in our courts, you commit murder, evidence, you know, the police officers suspect you, they compile evidence, they take you to court, you're judged by a jury of your peers, you're sentenced if you are murder, or if you did murder someone, or you get away with it because you're good at hiding evidence, whatever it is, right? Like there's a, there's a legal system. And in Jesus's time, there was also a legal system. And what it was, was when somebody was not suspected, you couldn't arrest someone you suspected, but when somebody was, was known to be a murderer, usually the witness was, uh, or ra rather the evidence was a dead body and somebody who witnessed the event, those two things. So you would be taken before the council, and that was the Sanhedrin, by the way. But the Sanhedrin would listen to the, to, to the evidence, to the testimony. They would render their judgment. person would be thrown in prison. Pretty similar to ours, right? Um, well, that's essentially what Jesus is saying. So Jesus is not denying, by the way, that, that uh, he's not saying that murder... Is, I'm, I don't know how to word that. I'm sorry. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to forget that for now, so I'm just going to move on. So a murderer must be judged, is what Jesus is saying, and therefore you should not murder. Good job. Sermon application. Don't murder. Um, but murder, again, can be expounded to a host of types of murders. So it's not, it's not right to murder, but it's also not right to do what Jesus warns against. So let, let me reread verse 22, and you'll get a better picture of what I mean. He's giving some examples, some consequences, and some warnings here. He says, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council or the Sanhedrin, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. You wouldn't normally think of those three things as murder, would you? You wouldn't normally look at, uh, at the three examples he gives of being angry and, um, and saying something insulting. You wouldn't think about those as being liable to judgment, would you? Just in a natural way. You would think that's pretty actually commonplace. Getting mad and being angry at someone seems normal. You have a neighbor who's a uh, hedge is encroaching on your property, and in your anger, you get a hedge trimmer, and you just trim it down without even talking to him, because it's on your property, and you did it in anger. And in your mind, the whole time, you're thinking, what an idiot, can't even, can't even trim his hedges right. Well, hate to tell you, but that's murder in Jesus' eyes. It's a violation of a commandment. And, and again, the, it's... it's a stage process, and that's what I think is pretty cool with what Jesus says. He says, everyone who's angry with his brother will be liable to judgment, whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever actually uses the insult and says it out loud, or even thinks it, will be, will be liable to the hell of fire. And I love the way Jesus does that, because it cuts right to my heart. When I said that I'm the one that benefited most from my street evangelism, I mean that. Because I'd sit here reading Matthew 5, 21 to 26 to a person, 
proving that Jesus considers that as committing murder in your heart. Meanwhile, I'd be angry at, I don't know, professor for giving me a bad grade uh, or person for almost running me over in Chicago because crosswalks in Chicago, man, they're just, they're suggestions. You jaywalk. That's, that's just what you do. It's quicker. So <laughs> you, uh, you, 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 you go across, even when you're going across the crosswalk, my wife gave me sage advice when we first got there. She was like, listen, the yellow ones, the taxis, the yellow ones don't stop. Like they go through the red lights. You just be careful. So I'd get angry at the taxi driver for almost running me over, which happens more often than I'd like to admit uh, in places like Chicago. But, but I'd be angry with them. And according to Jesus' standard, I'd be committing murder in my heart. And again, think of the consequences. Judgment, judgment before the council, you should be convicted of this and liable to the hell of fire. So pause for a moment. Commonplace actions, can we agree on that? Those are commonplace actions. Being mad at someone, is that a commonplace action? Uh, wanting to insult them, is that a commonplace action? Actually insulting them, is that a commonplace action? So who hasn't done these? None of us. Aren't we all guilty of these murderous crimes then? What hope is there? What should we do? In response to that question, Jesus issued the command, be reconciled. That's in verse 23. Let's read it. So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, meaning you have offended this person. By the way, brother could be literal brother, it could be neighbor, it could be uh, cousin three times removed that you just insulted at the last family reunion, it, what, whatever it is, right? This, this person has something legitimately against you. <laughs> We're not just talking like um, the person that's always arguing about where the property line is and you have documentation that says one thing and the other one the other. It's when you react poorly and you're mean to them, right? So. Brother just means close, okay? So I'm sorry, I interrupted myself. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. So Jesus is painting a picture. Offering a gift at the altar was something that every Israelite would do they go to the temple, they go to, they go to Jerusalem, they're leaving their gift, their thank offering, right, at the altar, whether it's a, a, a dove, a goat, or a bull, however rich you were, you would leave the gift at the altar and you would have it slaughtered, you would have it prepared, you would have it burned, you would have your offering go through. But Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. If you're about to offer that gift, but you remember that there's someone who has something against you, Stop. When he says, leave your gift, he's not saying, uh, here you go, God, and then running away. He's, he's saying, you drop it. <laughs> you let it go. If it's a dove, you let that thing fly away. I don't, I don't, I don't suggest letting a bull run loose in a temple, but, <laughs> but he's saying, you drop it. Grain offering, money, whatever you're doing, leave it, because your brother has something against you. 
And then you run straight to your brother and you'd be reconciled. Why should you even do that? Doesn't God need the gift? Doesn't God need that offering? Isn't that a requirement of, of your, of, of your uh, citizenship in Israel? It's because in your anger you've sinned against your brother and done what God considers murder. So you've sinned against God too. Jesus is saying essentially, listen, God doesn't want your gift if your heart is filled with sin. So that's the bad news. And I hope we can all be honest and and, 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 and consider that and ask the question, am I a murderer? Yes. Yes, you are. I'm looking at nobody as I'm saying yes. <laughs> I can, with incredible confidence, knowingly accuse each and every person in this room and outside of this room of being a murderer in God's eyes. Why? Because by God's standard, I'm a murderer. And I know that it's not like I'm the pinnacle of, of people, but I'm pretty commonplace. I'm average Joe. There's nobody that escapes that. So again, that was the benefit of me reading this to non-Christians. wasn't so much for them to hear it, but for me to hear it, for me to be convicted, for me to be reminded that I'm a sinner, I've sinned against a holy God, and I need rescue and that I've received that rescue in Jesus Christ. And that was, that's the good news. The bad news is you're all killers. Congratulations. But the good news is what we read last week, that, that Jesus did not come to abolish the law and the prophets, but to fulfill them. He is the fulfillment of the law and its legal requirement against God. So you have murdered. You have killed people with how angry you've been at them, the things you've said. You're liable to the hell of fire. But that doesn't mean that you can't have redemption. Because Jesus has fulfilled the law means that we are free from our, 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 our standing of judgment before a holy God who should, by the way, not forgive us. If you think of a just judge, if you think of a, a judge who's, done, who, who's, who's going to make a good verdict, standing, standing before this judge is a murderer, a convicted killer. The evidence points to them. And, and then the, the person makes their case and says, well, you probably shouldn't judge me guilty. What do you think the judge is going to say if he's a good judge? He's not going to take a bribe. He, he's not going to go, well, you might be a contributing member of society, so go ahead. Go ahead. Be free. No, a just judge will condemn that person. Um, so we, 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 we Christians recognize that in that courtroom, we're the ones standing in front of a just judge. But instead, our defense attorney, Jesus, is stepping up and saying, I, I served as punishment. Kill me. And in fact, God, the Father, is the father of our defense attorney. And our defense attorney decided, again, to take the punishment for us. He fulfilled the, the, the legal requirement of our punishment in the law. 
I, uh, I once spoke to a lady, wasn't here, so just to preface that, but she had feuded with her sister for decades. And she had feuded with her sister actually because of something that she had done wrong. And she admitted it. She even told me. She was like, yeah, I did, I did this thing and really offended her. And, but, you know, my sister just makes it worse. But, but, uh, but she's not a Christian, and I am, so my sin is covered by the blood of Jesus. She sinned, and she knew it. But again, she said, my sin is covered by the blood of Jesus. Yes and no. <laughs> if we're taking Jesus seriously with what he says, she has been relieved of her conviction before God, but God himself has said, don't go to church, don't, or, well, don't, not, don't go to church, but don't leave your, off, your offering at the altar and uh, trying to, trying to like, satisfy God, but instead leave your offering, like drop it and get out and reconcile with your sister. Our responsibility is, uh, knowing that our sin has been covered, is to shove our pride down and humbly seek reconciliation with those that we have wronged. That's what Jesus is saying in verse 24, or 23 and 24, saying drop it. Drop your pride. Drop your, your feelings of, of doing good for God or whatever it is and reconcile with the person that you have wronged. We as Christians should be constantly repenting of our sin, and I mean that. How many of you people have been angry at somebody since being saved? Hopefully every hand is going up. Murderers. <laughs> Christian murderers. We should repent of that, shouldn't we? We should be convicted by Jesus' words. We should know that, that, hey, just because I was saved doesn't mean I'm perfect. I was talking with someone recently who expected when he was saved to walk in the room and to be glowing and, you know, his wife to see a halo around their head. Um, but that's not the way it works, right? We're not just... Our sin has been satisfied for. It's been atoned for. It's not, like, gone from us. We're still sinners. We still need to repent constantly. We should be repenting of our sin through the power of the gospel. And what I mean by that is that instead of just feeling the weight and conviction and, 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 and power of our sin against us, we should feel it with the joy to repent, the joy to say, you know what, I was wrong. I, I have wronged you. Forgive me. Because now instead of just feeling the weight of conviction as a condemned sinner, we feel the weight of conviction by the Holy Spirit working in us lovingly, telling us of our sin, telling us that where we need to repent. Friends, you need to be feeling that. It's a mark of being a Christian. We do this because we're rightly accused, wrongfully set free from it in terms of a judiciary system, and yet lovingly so by the God of grace. So what should you do? Now that I've convinced you all you're killers, listen, this goes against every single piece of church management wisdom that I could possibly ever say. But if you're about to use our shiny new offering box, you have an offering and you're sitting next to you, 
and you have someone that you've sinned against, God doesn't want your offering yet. He wants you to go to the person and be reconciled, or at least attempt to be reconciled, to go in the freedom of the gospel, to go and say, you might have added to my, my wrongness, but I'm wrong. I'm still wrong. That doesn't change. To humbly ask forgiveness. Suddenly our offering went to a negative today. But I'm serious. Don't put the check in. God wants you to reconcile, to have a right heart. If you feel that conviction right now that you have sinned against somebody and you have not even tried to reconcile, don't put it in. Sometimes people don't want to be reconciled with. So I want to add this as a caveat. Sometimes people are, are too prideful to have themselves or to, to have, yeah, to have themselves forgive you for wronging them. But uh, sometimes we have to suffer like Christ, silently, knowing that our suffering in the midst of a lack of recon reconciliation has a reward at the end. Because if you're to suffer, suffer for doing good. First Peter 3.17, suffer for doing good. Do the right thing. Try to be reconciled. Again and again and again, as exhausting as it is. It's what God commands. Come to terms. And even if those terms aren't the way you want them, I mean that. If, if, you, if you go to someone and you want to reconcile and they make it harder on you because, uh, because you're the one that goes to them that asks for forgiveness, it's the way Jesus was treated. Jesus wasn't treated fairly. Neither should we expect to be treated fairly. Just to expand on that thought too, Jesus was not treated fairly for wrongs that he had done because he did no wrongs. <laughs> Jesus never sinned. We sinned. Jesus was wronged for our sins, not his. He suffered in our place the burning, fiery wrath of God the Father in our place. Isn't that freeing? I was warmed today. I was listening to a, uh, a sermon on holiness by J.I. Packer. And again, if you, if you, if, if you know J.I. Packer and where he came from, he was Welsh. So he had that really high British accent that has, that, that, that's just easy to listen to and yet he's using such big words, you're like, wow, I have no idea what you just said, but it sounded beautiful. So, <laughs> but I was listening to a sermon by J.I. Packer on personal holiness this morning. It was his last address at the college that he uh, founded, and he was old. He was reaching his high 80s at the time, and he, uh, he, 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 he had to keep the crowd small because he couldn't turn his head too much, and um, he, has, he has permanent head and neck damage, and he's not a very attractive older fellow, but, uh, but he's, he's, he, the words that he was using were so awesome. And I was warmed, going back to that, I was warmed today because he was talking about how my personal holiness is a response to God's suffering so that I could be holy. That's freeing. God suffered in my place, 
And now I can live a life that allows me to reconcile with someone I've wronged, to not be so embarrassed. That's usually what holds me back from saying I'm wrong with someone is embarrassment. Well, I know all the facts. No, you don't, Scott. Suck it up, buttercup. Go apologize. <laughs> that's, that's the sort of attitude we need to have as Christians, is that Jesus suffered so that my embarrassment is nothing in comparison to his demand of reconciliation. If you call yourself a Christian, this is the gospel, the good news you need to embrace. That your anger toward others, which has convicted you as a murderer, Jesus took the punishment for. Therefore, live with a heart freed to righteousness, free to seek reconciliation, knowing that Jesus took your true condemnation on himself. The scorn from the person you go to to apologize is nothing in comparison to the suffering that Jesus took to secure your ability to do it. Friends, Jesus warns us to come to terms with our accusers on the way to court. That's verse 26. So let's read verse 26. If I cannot cover it with my bookmark. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out of prison, that's the point, until you have paid the last penny. When we're surrounded by accusers, people that we have wronged, whether it's a child of yours, a former spouse, a cousin, a neighbor, anyone, right? If they're alive, again, take your offering with you. Don't put it in the shiny new box. It's not shiny. It's black. It's supposed to look cast. Anyway. Um, but, but take that offering with you, and this week, try to reconcile with the person that you've wronged. Not under a sense of condemnation, because if you're a Christian, you have none but under the sense of freedom in Christ. The Apostle Paul says in Galatians 5.1, he says, For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. And that slavery for Paul was Old Testament rites and rituals. So if you, a rite and ritual of Old Testament law, one of the many was to go and to offer sacrifices at the temple. You had to do it at certain times. There were certain festivals that you had to offer a certain sacrifice for. But friends, we have the freedom in Christ to recognize that God wants a right heart, not just right hands, not just right actions. Doing the right thing for the wrong reason does not glorify the Lord. Doing the, do, doing the right thing for the right reason, that glorifies God. We're not to submit to the legalistic letter of the law of the Old Testament. We are free to live as citizens of Jesus' new covenant kingdom. Part of that new covenant is to embrace the gospel in all of life. And, to, and, and, and that means we take the demands of a greater law, a law not just by the letter of the Old Testament, but the law of Christ, a law of freedom. Truly I say to you, Jesus says, you will never get out of prison until you have paid the last penny. Every person stands condemned before God the Father. Every person deserves to be thrown eternally in prison and suffer the hell of fire. Condemnation forever. But friends, Jesus has paid the last penny for Christians. He made it so we don't even have to go into jail. 
Your debt to God is gone. You're free. Use your freedom to worship God with your entire life. And again, in our text, we can recognize that that freedom should be repenting and reconciling with those that we have wronged, both before being Christians and after, as uncomfortable as it might feel. Repent, but repent with joy. Friends, repay your wrongs. Don't just not murder and consider yourself righteous. Uh, in Luke 19, 1 through 9, we hear of a tax collector named Zacchaeus who had defrauded people. He wronged them. And, response to, and in response to the good news, the gospel that Jesus brought him, uh, Zacchaeus promises to restore four times what he stole. That's 19.8. Don't be a legalist and think you've followed the law by avoiding taking a life. The gospel is so much deeper than that, friends. So much deeper. That depth is wonderful news to our depraved souls and our corrupt hearts. We're free. Free to live righteously. Let's pray. God, I am a murderer. I, I get angry all the time, and that's one of my besetting sins, and you know it well, and, and I, I plead for repentance from being angry, from murdering... This could be taken so wrongly, but, but from murdering my own family, from murdering my neighbors, from murdering my friends, I ask for repentance. But Lord, more importantly, give me the strength to reconcile. Lovingly make it so that we can reconcile. If things are so horribly damaged, may my gospel conviction, my delight in reconciling through the gospel, the freedom to reconcile through the gospel, May it empower me to live in a way that is always repenting, always loving, always doing that work that you do in us of reconciliation. There. In Jesus' name, amen.